You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to 2 Corinthians 8. You can't have a a missions revival or missions conference without a, a message from 2 Corinthians 8 or 9. It seems like the rule... Uh, but that doesn't mean that everything has to sound the same all the time. And then if you'll turn to Exodus 16, and in just in a few moments we'll stand. So 2 Corinthians 8 and then Exodus 16. Now, um, how many of you in the room would have been through maybe 20 missions, revivals, or conferences at this church. Would you, can I just see a hand? All right, several. Um, any of you think you might would have been through 30 here potentially? All right. I'm not trying to get your, get your secret age from you or something. I just want to know how many some of, of these some of you have been through. And a lot of them would be like this, in that you have a, a couple, you have a family come in, and so in this case, one going to Germany and one going to England. And then, you know, I know you had one like two, either last year or two years ago, where you had somebody going to India, somebody going to Slovenia, uh, and then every year, you know, somewhere different. And all of us have been through those. Um, I've had the opportunity a few times to preach missions, conferences, or revivals in other countries. And so I've, I've preached that in the Philippines before, and they have something similar to this. I've preached uh, in India before. I've had the opportunity of preaching one in Costa Rica. It'd be, it'd be similar to this. And, and then actually in, in Germany as well. And so in these other countries, they have independent Baptist churches where they have missions conferences and missions revivals like this. That's an interesting thought to me. But there is a big, big difference. I've never been in one of those where they were sending a missionary to America. None of them are sending missionaries to America. Now, why is that? We have these missions revivals and these missions conferences, and we have these people coming in, and they're all going out there, but you don't go there, and they're sending missionaries here because of how God has blessed America. Now, I want to ask every one of you, why do you get to be on this side? What did you do to earn being born in the country that gets to sin? You weren't born in a country in which America is spending millions and millions. And I would have to think probably when you combine it all from from churches, maybe not everyone just like ours, but billions that would go into sending missionaries out there. Every, every person in this room outside of if you were foreign born, even if you're a citizen now, you, you get to be a part of the country where our missions revivals are different than theirs. Yes, that's good. That's true. Not, not only why is that, but what responsibility comes with that? And that's what I want to deal with a little bit tonight. Let's stand together, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to deal with another mindset. We dealt with a mindset last night about just being sure that, we're, that we are really clear on how we treat the, the oaths in our life and what priority those get versus what God says and what is important to him, and be sure that we're clear on that. We'll deal with another one of those tonight. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 13. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality 
that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. And he uses that word equality twice in that verse. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. Father, uh, you've already spoken to our hearts through some good songs and a challenge through a special and then the video and the testimonies of Colin and Callie and So we're already rich, and yet I pray that you would use your word to bring a lot of that together and help us to really be sure that it's not just about out there, but it's about in here. And we need to understand this truth, and I pray that you'd help us to do so. Lord, thank you that we get to be the Americans. But I pray that that responsibility would be very heavy on us. And that we would understand we're not just lucky. We're blessed for a reason. And I pray that we would take that seriously tonight. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Hold your place there and let's go ahead and go back to Exodus 16. Because the text we just read quotes from this chapter and from this story. I want to be sure we understand the story before we go very far. The children of Israel are wandering around out in the wilderness in in this section of the book of Exodus. And you'll notice in verse 3 that after um, we find out they're murmuring in verse 2, you know, against Moses and Aaron. And in verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're, they're complaining that they had it better before and they even accused Moses and Aaron of trying to kill them and they're, they're just unhappy and, and they, they feel like they're just you know, disadvantaged and, and they've forgotten where they came from, didn't they? I mean, they were, they were complaining before about being in Egypt. Now they're complaining that God brought them out and, and, and that they're on their way to the promised land. And so in answer to their complaining, the Lord responds very graciously to them uh, by feeding them in a, in a special, miraculous way. And that's what we find out in verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them saying, And even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. So what happens here, the Lord responds to their complaining and and so they get manna in the morning and they get quail in the evening that are are described in verse 12 and and, and he explains in verses 12 through 15 what he did. But, But then there comes some arrangements with this that God wants to use to teach them a lesson in verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord God hath commanded. So notice this. Gather of it every man according to his eating. An omer for every man, that, that's a measurement, according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. So he says, there, I want you to gather enough for the people in your tent every day. That's what you do in the morning. Gather of it every man according to his eating. An omer, this certain amount for every man according to your persons. Verse 17, and the children of Israel did so and gathered, notice this, some more and some less. So some tents would have more manna, 
some would have less manna. And verse 18, and when they did meet it with an omer, here's, here's what we read in, in 2 Corinthians 8. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. All right, so when it says that some had more and some had less, you think about that. I mean, that's logical. Because he said, take an omer for every man or an omer basically for every human being that is in your tent. And because some tents would have five people in them, some tents would have two people in them, some tents would have 10 people in them, then some tents had more, some tents had less. Simply because it was to be an omer for every man. And so that's why it says in verse 17, the children of Israel did so. What did they do? Well, they did what verse 16 said, take so much for each person according to the number of your persons. Therefore, they gathered some more, some less. And so that's why verse 18 says what it does. He that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So because they gathered the right amount, the amount prescribed for each person, then when the morning would come, then they would have no more. So those that had gathered more, just because they gathered more, that didn't mean they had anything left over. And those that gathered less, just because they gathered less doesn't mean, well, they didn't have enough. I mean, it's, it's basic logic, it's basic math. Honestly, you, you can see how that works. But then verse 19, Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. Meaning you, you gather this, you eat it, and, and then don't, don't have this, uh, this extra that you gather that just leaves there. He says, don't leave it till the morning. And, well, why? Well, look, verse 20, notwithstanding, they hearken not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth, wroth with them. I mean, it's probably only the place in the Bible where, where one of the men of God was, was mad because of the stink. Yeah. You know, it just stunk. Yeah. And so he was unhappy with that because what happened is, is some of them gathered more than they needed and because they did that, it stank up the place and, and it bred worms and that was a problem. And so verse 21 concludes, and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And so this, this practice, this process that Moses gave to them that he got from God was meant to teach them a lesson that God was going to take care of them. And so he said, every day you gather enough for that day and, and then you, you don't leave it till the morning. You don't gather extra for the next morning. He wanted them to realize that he was going to take care of them. So in many ways, he is trying to explain to them, I don't want you to hoard the manna. I don't want you to take extra because it will stink and it will, it'll spoil by the next day. I want you to take as much as, as you have in your tent. And some of you, yes, you're going to have more. And some of you, yes, you're going to have less, but it doesn't matter. You take just what you need for the day. And then those that have more, they're not going to have some left over. And those that have less, they're not going to be in need. Everybody is going to have what they need. And the only problem was going to be when somebody decided they were going to hoard it and thought, well, I, we, we may not get any tomorrow, so we better gather a whole bunch extra. And so that was a problem. And, and the Lord made it clear that that was a problem by making it spoil. And, and so that, that's what we needed. So then let's, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8 so we can better understand what Paul had in mind when he's teaching them about this practice. So remember in 2 Corinthians 8 and, and part of chapter 9, this is basically where we get some of our, our explanation of faith promise giving or the way that we do missions. And just, you know, just briefly, the Jerusalem church 
was a very important church to them. You might call it the mother church out of which all of these other churches were, were birthed over time. And, and because of Jerusalem being so important, the Jerusalem church was going through some challenges right now and they didn't have as much as they needed, whether it was persecution or some would say that there was an element of famine maybe going on there. And so Paul, knowing the importance of the Jerusalem church and that ministry continuing to thrive and even grow, then he went around to the places where, where he would be starting churches or by this time he is going around confirming some of the other churches that he had planted and started that had gotten established. He's going around and he's saying, now listen, I, I, I need you to take an offering for the Jerusalem church because we need them to thrive. We need them to be strong. And so he went around and secured commitments. And even, even the church at Corinth, we find out that basically they had the idea of a year in mind. And he said, I want you to commit how much you are going to give to the church at Jerusalem. I'm going to come back and collect that a year from now. That'll give you plenty of time to prepare. And, and therefore, we can do this from these different churches and Jerusalem will be taken care of. So that's, that's what he did. But then evidently he gets word that the church at Corinth said they were going to do so much, but then they're lagging behind or they're not doing it. And so in chapter 8, that's, that's what he's writing to them about. If you go back and read it on your own, you start in verse 1 and you go through it, then you're going to realize he's trying to explain to them, listen, it's important that you do what you said you would do. As a matter of fact, I mean, he's pretty challenging here. He's, he's harder on them than probably anybody would ever be on you if you weren't giving your faith promise. He, he simply comes to them and he's now, listen, Corinth, I, I came to you and I told you about the need and you promised this much. So I left Corinth and then I went to some of the other churches after you and I said, listen, Corinth is, man, it's great. Corinth promised this much. And, and I went to these other churches and I challenged them to give based on the, the forwardness that you showed. But now you're falling behind and yet you were the one that I used to challenge them. And, and so he, I mean, he's pretty straight with them when he's writing this letter back to them. Listen, when I come back, I would love to see you fulfilling that which you promised and, and that you, you, know, you exercise your faith. So as he is making that argument, he finally gets to verse 13 and quite likely anticipating what some of them were thinking because at this point in time, the, the, the economy in Corinth and that region was doing a whole lot better than what was going on in Jerusalem. And so, you know, maybe he thinks some of them are having um, a thought process or maybe he heard this regardless of whether it was really there or, or he just thinks this might be the problem. He starts off addressing what could be in their minds and that's what we're going to address tonight in, in this particular instance. So when he says in verse 13, he says, let me be clear. I don't mean that other men be eased and ye burdened. Now, what he means there, remember the circumstance here. He says, I want to be sure, Corinth, that you don't think that I'm saying, okay, you've, you've, um, you've got this money that you could give to Jerusalem. He says, I'm not trying to take all your money and take all of that and then come over here to Jerusalem that doesn't have any and then give them all of your money. He says, that doesn't make sense because if I do that, then now you're in the shape that Jerusalem was in. All right, so if I take all your money, now you have no money, and I take your money and I bring it over here and I give it to Jerusalem. Well, now Jerusalem's burden is eased, but your burden is increased. He says, I want to be sure you understand. That's not what I'm talking about. Because when he gets ready to use the word equality, he's, trying to, he's going to be making it clear. That's not what I mean about equality. I, I don't mean that... that we're going to take from the, the rich, give to the poor, so now the rich are poor and the poor are rich. He says, that's not what I mean. All right, so let's be clear. I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. He, he wanted to be sure they understood that. 
So he says, but here's what I mean in verse 14. But by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. What, what Paul was seeking was a God-ordained equality. Not, not, not what, what others had in mind or what some governments had. It, it was not an equality of possessions. He wasn't saying that, all right, you have too many possessions, so we're going to take from your possessions and give it to them so that now you have an equality of possessions. You have this much stuff, and now, now Jerusalem, because we took some of your stuff and gave it to them, now they have the same amount of stuff. That's not the equality that he's talking about. In other words, it was acceptable to have much. That was not a problem. He wasn't saying, shame on you, Corinth. You, you've, you've got all this stuff here and they don't have anything and that's shame on you, you should not have much. What he's talking about and what he explains is that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. He is talking about an equality of want. Now, I think you know, but let's be sure we remember in the scripture, the New Testament, want doesn't mean desire. Want means need. To be in want it's, it, was the, it was the old English way of saying that. Somebody to be in want means that they needed this. So let's be sure we get that clear. We're, we're not talking about a Christmas list here that you know, everybody ought to get what they want. That, that's not what want means here. But it was an equality of, of need. It was a quality of, of their definition of want. That if someone had a need and another person had an abundance, then this person would give of his abundance to meet this need. And therefore, this person no longer had a need, but now this person doesn't either. Because otherwise, if you do what verse 13 said, that, that they might have been thinking that, well, Paul's going to come and take all of ours, now we're going to be in need, and, but Jerusalem's not going to be in need. And Paul says, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, Corinth, right now, you have an abundance. And Jerusalem has a need. And so all we're talking about is that you take from your abundance, and because we're taking of your abundance, then you're not going to be left in need, because I'm not trying to take everything you have and place, and place a burden on you. We're just going to use your abundance to meet their needs, so now neither of you have a need. That's the equality that Paul is talking about that there would be an equality of, of need and the meeting of the need. So in this case, the one in abundance doesn't lose everything. And the one in need doesn't gain everything. They just have their need met by the one that had an abundance. And, and so one of the things he conveys there too is a little bit of a chronology if you'll look at it. But by inequality, notice these next few words, that now at this time, this is the way it is. The economy in Corinth is good. The economy in Jerusalem is bad. So now at this time, you have the abundance, they have the need. But Corinth, you better pay attention because the day could come. The economy is not going to be so great in Corinth. And the economy is going to be better in Jerusalem and the tables are going to be turned. And he says, you better prepare for that. Because you, you use of your abundance to meet their need. Because you're the one in abundance right now. And they're the ones in need. But the day may come when you are the ones in need. Because things can change quick in countries. And who is in abundance and who is in a need can become a real issue. So that takes us to verse 15 where he says, he goes back to the story that had been told to him that he had read in, in the, the law and, and what had been given to him in, in Exodus as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over and he that had gathered little had no lack. And so this is why the hoarding passage becomes relevant here. Because the only reason that somebody who had an abundance would not use their abundance to meet the need of the person that was in need is if they are hoarding. Is if they just wanted to keep as much stuff as they could and, and we call it hoarding. 
you know, you know, for, forget the, the baking shows, you know, that, that uh, Brother Colin likes and, you know, is just so engulfed in, you know. How about the really good ones, the hoarding shows, you know. Uh, I mean, those are nasty. At least in baking, you come up with something decent at the end. But hoarding, man, I don't know if you've seen some of that, but some of the way their homes look like. I mean, they just, they just, they can't throw anything away. They're collecting more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And of course, we're not talking about that, you know, where the, the place is just roach infested and that, you know, we're just talking about a, a gathering of stuff. So Paul was trying to make it clear. I'm not trying to take everything from you, but, but I want you to share your abundance with those who had a need because if you have an abundance and they have a need and you're not willing to share your abundance, then you're you're acting like you're trying to hoard everything you can get. And so he references the story they would know when those with manna tried to do that. Because it was okay for some households to have more and some to have less. But he said, what I want you to learn is that, is that you, you don't have to take more than you actually need because I'm going to take care of you. And that's why he was able to say, that some, those that had much, they didn't have anything left over at the end. And, and those who had less, they didn't have any lack. I remember coming back from India the first time that I went and visited our missionaries, uh, Brother Thompson, uh, Brother Thomas and Sam and Paul Thomas. And I was flying back on the airplane and I was, I was reading through some of this preparing to preach for the Sunday that I got back. And I remember the things that I saw in India and, and, and your pastor and his wife went there with us. I think the, the second time that, that we went over, second or third time we went over there and, and they saw much of this as well. But I, I mean, I, just, I can still see some of the sights in, in my mind that, that I observed over there. And it, it, was, it was amazing. I, I had never seen anything quite like that before. I remember one particular scene that was just embedded in, in my mind from that time was going down the road and, and there would be these elderly ladies alongside the road and their daily job was to take a larger rock and break it down into smaller rocks with a hammer and a chisel. That was a, that was a regular occupation. And, and that would basically be the only use of these elderly ladies in their culture would be they would be breaking rocks down. So they sat there along the highway and they did that all day. On the, on the, the scene in the second time that we went there, I, I think it was maybe the night, um, what was the, the festival? Was that the night before we left? You remember that when we observed? So when I was there with, um, with your pastor and Jason and Aaron, brother Jason and Aaron, then we were, we were getting, we were heading back from, we got to do some sightseeing the last day and went down to the tip of India where the oceans come together. And, and we were heading back and, and we saw these people riding a couple elephants. And it, it was getting towards dusk. And I just thought, well, that's kind of fascinating. So we told Brother Thomas, said, hey, will you pull over? And, and I had a camera and, and, uh, and your pastor had a, a, a video camera. I had a still camera. And so... Uh, Brother Thomas pulled over and, and we parked up there. And so we, we walked back to where these, these elephants were turning off of the main road onto a, onto a side road. But it wasn't just those elephants and two people riding elephants. Directly behind the elephants was a, a, a truck that had a cab and then it had a long flatbed. And on that flatbed truck projecting over the cab were two what we would think of as telephone poles. And so the, the, the telephone pole went from the, the, the low part of the, the flatbed and the, the telephone poles projected way up over the cab and far in front of the cab. And on each of these telephone poles were three sets of hooks, of steel hooks. And then hanging from those hooks on each, on each telephone pole was a man with the hooks hooked into the back of his legs for the one set of hooks, for the, the lower part of his back for the next set of hooks, and then his shoulder blades for the third set of hooks. And as the, 
as the, the truck would go over these roads and then hit these bumps, you would see these men wince. And as that part went by, and then came some of the men who had rods that were put through all, all over their bodies. And I remember one particular one that we, we got footage all of this, and we still have footage uh, of this. And that one man, I, I counted off the footage having over 100 rods through his body. But it still wasn't done. Because then came the kids. And these boys, probably 8, 9, or 10 years old, watching these men in front of them, most likely some of them being their dads, who had learned to put these rods through themselves. I have one particular picture that I took of a, of a little girl, probably 8 or 9 years old, behind these boys, and just with her face turned and her hands covering her face, and just barely looking out as if she was just horrified by what she was observing. And it was a Hindu festival is what it was. I remember watching that and, and sitting on that airplane coming back and, and the, the first time having not seen the festival, having seen something similar, but just all the scenes and I thought and, and realizing, God, I'm going to go home to a nice home, a nice vehicle, plenty of food, good food. I'm going to have plenty of clothes. I'm going to have heat and air. I'm going to sit in a church that is so comfortable and just feeling so convicted. I don't deserve that. And I remember thinking, you know, God, do you even pray, God, do you, do you expect me to go back to the United States of America and shouldn't I just sell everything that I have and send it to them? And that's how I felt. And yet, and then in reading that text and realize that wasn't his point. That wasn't God's point. Because that would violate the text. Okay, so we're going to take everything from those in America and we're going to give it to the people in India. And now we're going to be poor and they're going to be rich and, and, and that's going to take care of it. And it's like the Lord made it clear. That wasn't the point. I made you an American for a reason. So that you could have abundance. And you're going to get to have plenty. I'm going to let you have your nice car. And your nice house. I'm going to let you have your central heat and air. I'm going to let you have your, you know, your nice running shoes. And, and your refrigerator that has an ice maker. I'm going to let you have all that. But I'm going to expect that out of your abundance. You're going to take from that. And you're going to help meet the need of those in India that need the gospel so that they don't have to sit there without the, the, the knowledge that you have of a God who instead of expecting to please that God, instead of you having to put hooks through your flesh and put these rods and pierce your own flesh, that your God, they need to know that your God was willing to send his son who he took all the piercings in his own head and in his own hands and in his own side and in his own feet and he took all that for you so that you could be saved and, and he took the wrath of God on himself so that you could have salvation and you didn't have to grow up under one where you had to pierce your own body to please your God. Your God in order to see you pleased pierced himself. And said, so Wayne, why don't you take of your abundance and just take of some of that and use that to meet their need because then they're not going to have everything and you're not going to be drained down to nothing. And it's, it's, it's worthwhile for us to take some time tonight and ask ourselves, why do we have more? Did you take a test when you were, before you were conceived and, and you scored a higher grade and so God said, okay, you get to be born, you get to be placed in an American womb. You didn't. The sovereignty of God allowed me to be born an American and you too. But it wasn't so that we can just bask in our abundance. It was so that we could take of our abundance 
and meet the need. And that's why the other countries aren't having to send missionaries to America yet. It's why we get to be in the country. We have the abundance and God has blessed us. And even with the difficulties of the economy and its ups and its downs, that that God has placed us in a place where we have the abundance so that we can take of our abundance and meet their need. You need to realize the principle here, by the way, is bigger than money. It's bigger than money. And this is why I call this a, a mindset because um. You know, uh, what a mindset is, is, is a little bit like vision. I have, have a hard time seeing, and so I have glasses. And so when I put these glasses on, then when I'm looking right through these glasses, I, I can see clearly. But out of the periphery, if, I, you know, if, I, if they fall down just a little bit, I can see some out of the periphery, and it's not near as clear. Or, or I can take them off, and, and now I can't see quite as clear. And, and so you can take them off, but then you have... But then you have contacts, and contacts are better in, in a sense because you don't have any periphery. I mean, when you have those contacts in, everything you see is clearer. But even then, you can take them off, and you take them out at night, and, and, and you don't see as clear. But, but then several years ago, the church for, for Christmas gave me LASIK eye surgery. And I remember going in, and, and, and they, they opened my eyes up with this contraption, and I mean, literally, this surgery takes like three to five seconds. And then after that, I've got perfect vision. And everything I see at all times is perfect vision. That's what a, that's what a mindset is. A biblical mindset is something that resides in us that affects everything we see all the time. And, and so that so much of, of I love taking the, the word of God and, and preaching mindsets to help us that, that it rests at a place in which we see everything. And so I call this a mindset because the principle here is bigger than money because we have an abundance of more than just money. And we need to think this way because you're, there are going to be periods in your life in which you have more time than other people have. You have an abundance of time. Where other people don't, they they are in need. This is where men and ladies that come into retirement need to think about this. You say, "Oh, we don't have any more time than anybody else." Well, I understand that, but but you do have an availability, a little bit more freedom in how you use your time. And and a lot of times, it, it's true that that somebody in retirement they have more expendable hours that they can choose to a lot different ways because they're not having to earn an income in that sense. And then there are and then there are those that have a need, and primarily a church that is doing ministry that has a need. That those that that have an abundance of time or in a period of time in their life that they can use their abundance to help meet the need that maybe a church has or some people in a church has or that a missionary might have. There, there are times that maybe people are in between jobs or, or, or maybe they make, God's blessed you that you make a whole lot more money in less time and it's not just money. There can be an abundance of just hours that we have that we could use that to be a blessing to somebody in need. There are times we have an abundance of goods and, and I, I'm sure there would be stories. Your pastor could tell me of stories of which people in here said, you know, I, I have two of these. I'd be glad to give you one of them because I, I have an abundance and you have a need. And we, we, we need to think like that. Yes, sir. Right. I mean, outside of missions, we, we just need to have that mindset right. that, that we have an abundance of things and there are people that have a need. And God wants to meet that need by giving us an abundance. And that was the very reason he gives us the abundance is to meet the need. Oftentimes we have abilities that a lot of other people don't. Many churches are able to spend more money on ministry because men or ladies that have a particular ability that the church does not have the ability. Maybe the church would have to buy that. People can take of their ability and, and God is blessing them to make money off that ability, but they can take somewhat of their abundance of their ability and end up being a blessing to the church that has a need. And, and they're not, you know, by and large, they're not giving up. They're not like, oh, I can't make any money now because I'm doing it all for the church. No, God still blesses. They can make some money. They're just taking of their abundance and helping meet the need that a church 
church has so that it can spend that money on ministry so something could be taken care of. This is true sometimes of even your spirit. You know, sometimes you're just, you're truly encouraged and things are great in your life. And you can go through the day and whistle while you work and it's just like, man, this is wonderful. But you might know some other people in this room that are going through some really, really tough times. And they might need an abundance of your spirit. Just go to them and say, you know, God's really good and can I just be a help to you somehow? Can I encourage you? Can I try to strengthen you? Some of you have an abundance of health when others don't. They have a need. And it's not like you can take your health and give to them, but you can take the healthy body that you have and try to be a blessing to them because they don't have a healthy body to do some of these things. There's plenty of applications of that. But you know, there's going to be times of abundance and there's going to be times of, of want. And we need to know how to deal with both of those. Because there, you know, Paul said, I've learned how to, I've learned how to be a base and I've learned how to abound. I've learned to, you know, have plenty and I've learned to be in want. And, and we might have to be careful that, that we, you know, we, we look down on other people that maybe they don't have a whole lot. And man, those people out there and those other you know, countries that don't serve the Lord and they don't realize they have a missionary in front of them. It's one of the reasons it's going to take so long in, in England and Germany. And boy, what, why don't those, you know, why, why don't those people realize they need God? Well, let's see how, how you do when all of a sudden you don't have as much stuff and then see if we still want to trust God and if we want to honor God like many of them have had to do. We, we, we know how to go through times of abundance, know how to go through times of want. And actually, what you find out is when you don't have much, it might be a little bit easier to trust in God because what else are you going to do? Israel's problem, they were told, is not when you're going to face your enemies. They knew how to, how to cry out to God then. He said, when you get there and you have lands that you didn't, you didn't have, you have vineyards you didn't have to plant, you have houses you didn't build, you have cities that you didn't construct and put together. He says, you be careful because when you have all that stuff, that's when you're going to forget God and that God's the one that gave all of this to you. We need to know and learn how to manage our abundance. Notice the implications of hoarding what we have. When abundance is not used to meet a need, it's hoarding. When an abundance is not used to meet a need, it is hoarding. See, this is interesting. When the Israelites, if you remember, when they took more than they needed, it, it, it didn't go towards a, a need, it spoiled and it stunk up the place. I'm sure you have these areas in Sioux Falls as well, and whatever community you come from, you have the areas that you know, the, the, the rich gather together you go try knocking doors in that area and you, you will find some really spoiled people. You, you, you find people who have so much abundance and more abundance and more abundance. It doesn't matter whether it is a three-year-old whose mother is asking them at every turn, would you like this? Do you want to eat this? Do you want to eat that? Do you want to wear this? Do you want to... I could go off on a tangent on that. This is not a parenting class, so, so I won't. But it's how we spoil our kids, and then we wonder why they have the attitudes they do. We just, we just give them an abundance of everything that they want, and we condition them. It doesn't matter if it's a three-year-old or it's a 50-year-old who has so much that's not going towards a need. They end up having some pretty stinky attitudes. You ever notice you, t- you take a teenager and they have too much time on their hands? They end up with a stinky attitude. Or they end up using it poorly and, and they, you know, they're going to spend all their time playing video games or watching TV or watching all this stuff. And, and you find out they, it spoils them. Because when we have an abundance of anything that is not applied to a need, it's like, we were, it's like Paul was wanting them to realize and just like God wanted the children of Israel to realize when you don't apply an abundance to a need, it's hoarding and it is going to spoil you. 
And you can find plenty of church members in good churches just like this and, and Bible Baptists in Stillwater that people that, that God has blessed immensely that if they don't develop the mindset of taking what they have of their abundance and meeting a need, they end up not being very profitable church members. Yeah. Not trying to be hard. Right. It's, it's like I'm, I got plenty and I'm doing good. Well, you need to use that to apply towards a need. There's, there's this aspect of, of our abundance meeting the need that somebody else has and the way to avoid the hoarding is to use that abundance. Now, I, I, I want to close with, with something that Paul said and we're going to turn there in just a moment. We're going to stand and I'm going to read it so I, I, I won't start preaching a whole, whole other text. I, I just want us to see it. But I want to remind you, Paul made it very clear that at this time, your abundance, you have the abundance and they have the need. Listen, it's going to change in America, isn't it? I don't know, are, are we seeing the beginning of, of that? Well, we've seen plenty of these cycles. I don't know if this is part of the cycle or America can't have all the debt that it has and all the keeps building up abundance and, and borrowing more and borrowing more and borrowing more. You can only do that so long before the chickens come to roost. I'm telling you, the day is going to come that America collapses. There's reasons it's not listed in the book of the Revelation. We're not going to exist forever. Look at England. It's going to come home to roost. And we're going to be the ones in need. And we're not used to that. We haven't experienced that. And it might be that God's grace might be greater on us still, would still be present on our country if there are those who are willing to take whatever they have at the time that they have in abundance and say, you know, I, whether I have this much abundance or this much abundance... I'm going to help meet the need of others. Can I, can I remind you what Paul told Timothy when he was talking about money? He said, Timothy, you'll be a good pastor if you do this. You charge those that are rich in this world. Now that's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? Because I, we could pass out cards here and say, who, who do you think is rich in this room? And, and maybe people would list you know, these two or three, four or five families but then there's some people that you're thinking, well, I'm definitely not going to list them because I, I just know they, they don't have a lot. No, Paul told Timothy, rich in this world. Because in a world system, some of these youth make more than the average of some families in many, 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 many countries. They can go work part-time at Chick-fil-A and make more than the average family in a lot of countries. The poorest person in this room probably makes more than the average world wage. So we are rich in this world. You might say, well, I don't have as much as some families in, in this room. That's not the point. Rich in this world, the, the people we're talking about are those in other countries that have needs and they need the gospel. And so we are going to help missionaries get over there so that we can help take care of this. I'm going to ask you to, in closing, turn to Hebrews 10 and let's stand together. Let's stand together. Hebrews chapter 10. There was a time when Paul was in great need. He was in prison. And he, he didn't have hardly anything. And so he just throws this verse in, in part of verse 10, verse chapter 10 and verse 34. When he says, For ye had compassion of me, in my bonds, and I love this phrase, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Now, that's interesting because he uses that word spoil. But this is not a stinking spoil. This is a joyful spoil. This is, they took joyfully, this is like the spoils of battle that they took of their abundance and they allowed somebody else to, to take that. They offered it, but they allowed somebody else to take that as if those who had been victorious in gaining a lot. He said, you, 
this was not a stinking thing to you. you. You were not spoiled. You allowed somebody to spoil you by taking of your abundance and you used it to meet my need. And he says, I know why you did that. Again, end of verse 34, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. He says, I'm so thankful that when I was in need in prison, you took your abundance. You didn't let it spoil you in the wrong way. You used your spoils to meet my need because you realize there's a whole lot more awaiting than just the stuff you've accumulated, that that's going to turn into something so much greater because you have heaven. And a lot of people in England don't. A lot of people in Germany don't, but we do. Would you ask the Lord to really help you put into perspective your abundance? I'm not, I'm not asking is everything that you want met, but I'm telling you so many of our needs, they're fine. We could take of our abundance of our wants and, and what God has given to us and use it to support missionaries to go meet the needs in other countries. Would you ask the Lord during this invitation time to speak to you about how you ought to be involved in that this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, thank you that we're Americans. All of us are disappointed in our country in various ways, but we sure are well off compared to most of this world. Lord, I pray that we will not be a spoiled people. Lord, my concern is that we only use, whether we have an abundance, we only use the standard in this room instead of the standard of this world. We are a blessed people. We're a rich people. Lord, I, I pray that by the end of this missions revival that every person in this room would be involved in, in faith promise and helping to meet the needs of others out of whatever abundance that they might have. Lord, I pray our abundance would not be determined because of our, our having lots of big televisions and, and, and having internet and all of these other things. We'd realize that those are not needs, they are wants that we are privileged to have. And they would be considered abundance even that we would be willing to take of our abundance, whatever that is, and meet the needs of missionaries who are going to go to other countries and help meet their need. Lord, I pray that you would use this message, help it to be in its proper place in the hearts of your people, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.